Well, you may be seated. Hallelujah. We got a special guest today standing up with me. This is Pastor Stephen LeBlanc. Did I say that right? From Gateway Church. Uh, just we made a real connection with him over the last couple of years. This is one of the executive pastors over the young adults. And I tell you, he's got a word for you this morning that's going to just bless you and encourage you. But I'm going to turn it over to him right away and let him get with it. But let's give him a warm welcome here from Texarkana. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's good to be here. Great to see you. You look and sound great. I'll tell you this. I, I love your pastor. He is a really good man. I'm telling you, from the moment I met him, I was so impressed. And I am really, I want to thank you on behalf of the Lord for letting him take a sabbatical. And you might be saying, well, we didn't let him do that, you know, uh, but you really do. When you, when you continue to give and to support and to serve, what you're doing is you're letting your pastor get replenished. And so as having been a senior pastor for many years, thank you on his behalf. Please continue to pray for him, uh, that the Lord would fill him up, that he'd come back just overflowing. Is that good? Is that good? Okay. Well, greetings to you. I am... Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. My wife and my kids didn't get to come. I have four kids and one wife. And normally when we come through Texarkana, we're on our way camping. We're going somewhere else. But I love the opportunity to come and get to share with you. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and get it out. And I want you to go to two places in Scripture. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 and hold your place there. And then go over to Psalm chapter 139. We're going to get to Hebrews 11 here in just a minute. But the title of the message this morning is Why God Makes Promises. Why God Makes Promises. Uh, Pastor John asked me to preach here. He said, would you pray about coming? And I'm telling you, immediately dropped in my spirit what to bring you. So I have no doubt this is the burden of the Lord for you. Uh, it's why I'm here. I'm here as a messenger bringing this. Amen. Nothing more, nothing less. And so I, my, my prayer is that your heart would be open to hear it. Why God Makes Promises. This is an important statement. The first word, why, is very important. How many of you know that if you understand the why, it's easy to understand the what? And the deeper you know a person, the more you understand the why they do what they do, more than just the what they do. You can know what someone does and not know why they do it. In fact, you can know the same thing. You can know what God does and not yet understand why God does. If we're going to know God deeply, we want to know the ways of God. We want to know the whys of God. Does that make sense? Israel knew God's acts. Moses knew God's ways. I don't know about you. I want to know God's ways. I don't just want to see his hand move. I want to know why he does those things. And here's what I know. When you get in on the why of God, you'll get in on the what. And so my prayer is that as you hear this, why God makes promises, you'll be able to get in on the what and the receiving of those promises. So what is a promise? Promise is simple. Just by definition, so we're on the same page. A promise is a, a, an expressed declaration that something will happen. Very simple. An expressed declaration something will happen. A promise from God is not just God saying, okay, I guess I'll allow that. It's when God says, I am going to blank. That's a promise. And God is a promise-making God. He enjoys doing it. He does it all the time. His word is chock full of promises. He's a promise-making God. In fact... Listen to this. Very important. Everything God does, he begins with a promise. He doesn't do anything that he doesn't begin with a promise. Whether it's to himself or someone else. 
You realize the church you're in, every single person that's ever going to get blessed here by the word of God, led to Christ, have their marriage redeemed and saved, uh, praise and worship, every bit of fellowship you have began with a promise in someone's heart that God wanted to do something in a congregation here in Texarkana and around the world. Began in a promise. This building began with a promise. Someone heard a promise that God wanted to expand this and seat more people and provide, praise God, air conditioning. Because I'm not spiritual without air conditioning. It's okay. You can laugh. Neither are you. <laughs> You're like, gosh, it's hot. I don't care if it's anointed or not. See, someone heard the promise, believed it for it, and, and saw it come to pass. He begins it. And a matter of fact, here's, here's one thing you've got to get. You began with a promise. You began with a promise. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I ordained certain things for you. David wrote it this way. This is some, well, you are easy to preach to. If you would follow me around, everywhere I go. This is Psalm 139. Look at verse 13. We'll start there. This is David writing. He says, he's speaking to God. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb, very beginning of when he was made. I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that, no, that my soul knows very well. So there's great works, right? That's the what, but watch the why. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were all written, the days that were fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. See how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. And how great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. What is he saying? He's saying, before you began me, you promised certain things for my life. See? Why does God do it? It's not arbitrary. And we've got to understand why God makes promises if we're to fully reap the benefits of those promises. So there are four reasons God makes promises. And here's the first one. Number one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're not taking notes, you should write this down. <clears throat> the first reason God makes promises, number one, because promises are the basis for faith. Amen. Promises are the basis for faith. In other words, they're the very beginning part of faith. A promise is what provides faith. Say it this way. You cannot have faith without a promise. Why? Because what does Romans 10, 17 say? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by what? The word of God or the promise from God. You can't believe God for something till you hear him say it. See, it's so easy to say, well, you know, I, I want to have faith. I want to believe. I'm stirring myself up to believe. But you can't if you haven't first heard. That's how important it is that you hear a promise. How many of you believe God wants you to have a promise? Well, he does. How do we know? Because we know he wants you to have faith. Here's, here's Hebrews 11, verse 1. You probably know this. It says, now watch this carefully. Try to hear it for the first time. It says, now faith is the substance. I want you to see that word. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it is the evidence, remember that word, of things unseen. It is substance and it is evidence. In other words, when you have faith, though you don't have the finished product, the finished deal, what you're believing for, you already have substance and evidence. Okay, my first job out of high school. Uh, I, I repented of after. So when I tell you what I did, you'll forgive me, okay? This is before Christ. I worked for a company that we repossessed mobile homes. And it's terrible. It's a sin. It's, it's horrible. And I know. It really was, though. People, we would have a team of five people. We'd show up with an 18-wheeler, 
They would go to the grocery store. We would, in about 30 minutes, cut the power lines, cut the pipes, cut the ties, put axles on, and they'd come back, and we were driving away with their house. Okay, it was terrible. I'm serious. I hated being in the circumstance of kicking somebody when they're down. It's terrible. And plus, people were shooting at me. And so that made me want to quit. Not, no exaggeration. People get upset when you're taking their house. Okay? And it was in Texas. Arkansas is probably the same way. They will shoot you. Give me my house back. And so I said, you know what? I really want to move to the other side of the company that delivers the house. And so I, I, got, I started working with the prefab housing at this company. Now, prefab housing is very simple. They show up with all the material on the spot, drop the material off, then a work crew assembles it. My first day on the job, myself and about 10 others are standing there, and two 18-wheelers show up with the big flatbed trailers, you know, with kind of a crane in the back. You ever seen these? They show up, pallets stacked three high. They pull in, and at the job site, they unload these pallets from these 18-wheelers. First the first truck, then the second truck. And they leave, and they leave these pallets there. These pallets contained every shingle, every board, every nail, every piece of flooring, every piece of siding, everything that was going to be needed to build the house was in these pallets. This is what I want you to understand. When those pallets were dropped off, we now had the substance of the house. We now had the actual tangible evidence of the thing that was hoped for that we were going to put together. You couldn't see it was a house, but you had the substance. Are you hearing this? Faith is the actual substance of what's hoped for. When you have faith, you have all you're going to need to see this come to pass. Listen, if faith is the pallet of materials, the promise is the truck that brought the pallet. You cannot have the pallet without the truck. You cannot have the faith without the promise. Listen, God wants you to have faith. If you lack faith, don't get discouraged. Don't be beaten down. Just know this. You need a promise from God. And then faith can come when it hears it. And then you're as good as there because you have the substance and the evidence. It's just faith and patience. You inherit all of it. See? Starts with the promise, ends with the fulfillment of the promise. See? That's the first reason. Because it's the basis for faith. Okay? If you lack a promise and you lack faith, listen, I'm going to tell you how to fix that. We're going to get to that. But here's the second thing. The second reason why God gives promises is because promises lead us in the right direction. Yeah. Promises lead us in the right direction. I'm going to give you a very simple way to, way to think about this. Let me read you, or I'm not going to read it. Let's just think about John 3.16. You probably know this verse either because you've read your Bible or because you've watched NFL football. And someone had it on their, what, they put it on like their eyelids now or right down here and all that. Just I want you to think about the verse in a new light. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay? What's the promise? The promise is that you would not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, where does that promise lead you? It leads you to believe in Jesus Christ. See, when you hear a promise from God, in order for you to go after that promise, you're going to head in the right direction. The, the scriptures are replete with this truth. These are the ways of God. This is the way God deals with man. Kind. He promises things, then guides us toward those promises. They, they are a compass to us, if not a roadmap, okay? 
Let me give you a perfect example. This is uh, Luke chapter 6, and, and this is verse 35. I'm going to read you a few verses here. He says this, But love your enemies. <clears throat> Can you believe he put that in there? But love your enemies. That's, that's tough. Love your enemies and do good and lend to who? To your enemies. Hoping for nothing in return. I wish I had that bank. Uh, hoping for nothing in return. Look, but and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Well, let me ask you, what's the reward? What's the promise? It's a great reward, and you'll be a son of the Most High. And the promise leads you in what direction? What direction? To love your enemies. See? The promise takes you where he wants you to go, for he's kind and uh, to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Now watch this. Judge not, and you will not, you will not be judged. What's the promise? The promise is you won't be judged. What direction does it lead you? It leads you to not judge. See? Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive. You'll be, you will be forgiven. Look, give. There's where he wants you to go. Here's the promise. It'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it, it will be measured back to you. That's a big promise. He didn't have to write all that down. He wrote all that down so that we would know what direction to head. Because we want the promise, therefore we go in the right direction. Okay? And direction is important. God doesn't want you just out there aimless. But listen, there's something more important than direction. And it's destination. I told you, we come through here sometimes. We come through here and we, 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 we camp. Um, but in the interest of total disclosure and honesty, I don't camp like some of you manly men camp. I camp in a camper. You say, well, I have a sleeping bag. Well, I have a Sealy Posturepedic. <laughs> Air condition, windows, refrigerator, color TV. You're like, that's not camping. Well, it is to my wife. And happy wife, happy life. That's absolutely what I've learned. That's somewhere in the Bible. No. We go camping, and when I camp, I all it seems like all my weight and my concerns just kind of fall off. It doesn't matter where I'm going through, I go camping. Traveling to me is like the closest thing to heaven on earth. It's heaven. So travel is like heaven. Being lost while I'm traveling is hell. And it's possible in just one or two moments to go from heaven to hell, right in the very same truck. I can be traveling and be in heaven and be lost and be in hell. And my wife hates it when I feel like I'm in hell. So she bought me a GPS. Good woman, man. She bought me a GPS. And you've heard the GPS thing. It's always got a female's voice and it's real nice. Well, we named our woman Nancy. She... She speaks to us, you know, left turn, followed by a keep to the right kind of thing. She talks to us. Her name is Nancy. Now, Nancy works all the time unless she doesn't. And then she's a liar. And liars go to hell. See, are you with me in the correlation? She's a liar. And so the only time she lies, this is the only time she's wrong is when there's construction or detours, inclement weather, or the sun shining somewhere on the earth. You never know when it's just not going to work. 
And it's the most frustrating thing to get bad directions. But let me tell you something. Let's just say Nancy was perfect all the time. Let's say she had all the roads down. She knew every detour. She knew every construction site. She never got it wrong. She was always right on the spot. She knew right where our position was. Everything worked perfectly. Listen to me. She could have perfect directions, but if I don't enter a destination, I'm just wandering directions without destination equals wandering israel got direction from god for 40 years but they had no destination therefore they wandered there are christians who are guided by the holy spirit but they have no promise for their destination and they have a constant sense that they're wandering this is easily cured by getting a promise from god you hear a promise and suddenly all the directions start to make sense. Turn left, turn right. I don't care what it looks like. You turn here, over there. Because some of the Holy Spirit's directions will mess with your head. It's like, but this doesn't get me there. It's like the kid going, you know, I know how to walk over there. No, trust me, I know how to get you there safely and in one piece, see. And he starts giving you direction and the directions no longer upset you, frustrate you, or cause you to be discouraged. Why? Because you're understanding that God's destination has been promised. And your life takes on a whole new realm. How many of you believe God wants you to have direction? He does. He wants to guide you. He wants you. Therefore, therefore, by nature of the fact that you believe that, what you're saying is God wants you to have promise. He does. He doesn't want you to float. He doesn't want you to feel like you're wandering. If you wandered in here, you can walk out. You really can. You can know God's saying this to me. And it may not encompass every area of your life, but he'll give you enough to where you go, I've got enough to hold on to. He's promised this, and he's faithful. Faithful is he who promised, who will also do it. See? Promises lead us in the right direction. Okay, here, that's number two. Here's number three. Number three is my favorite. Probably shouldn't have favorites, but this, this really is my favorite. And it's this. Number three, because promises demonstrate God's faithfulness. Because promises demonstrate God's faithfulness. Here's the, way, here's the way God works with everybody. This is the way God wants to work with you. He wants to make a promise. Then when you see that promise come to pass, you then say, you did this. You did this. See, because if God doesn't make the promise or you don't hear the promise, how do you know it was God? Maybe it was luck. Maybe it was, you know it's not, but, but do you really? The world attributes all kinds of weird things to God and very few things that should be attributed to God or attributed to God. Well, the hurricane's from God. Well, but creation's not. That makes no sense. <laughs> so in other words, he didn't make it. He just knows how to mess it up. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Who knows? Is it karma? Is it Buddha? No, well, we know it's not, but here's what happens. God makes the promise so that then you know. Watch, I'll show you. Here are the verses. Watch this, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 23. And this is, these are about four, four verses out of, out of literally hundreds that could, that could stay in, in this train of thought. Speaking to Israel, he says, Kings shall be your foster fathers and queens your nursing mothers. And they shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Look, then you will know that I am the Lord. When? When you see come to pass what I promised you, for they'll not be ashamed to wait on me. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 28. Look at this one. He says, I will purge the rebels from among you 
And those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the country from where they dwell, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 8. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Look, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of his temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, it's replete through the New Testament as well. This is John chapter 2. In verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews then said to him, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised, uh, had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. See, the, the fulfillment of the promise demonstrates God's faithfulness. And here's what always happens when you hear a promise, then it comes to pass. Two things always result, praise and worship. Because what happens is you see, well, you did this. You did this. You said you saved my son. Now you saved my son. You did this. You said you'd heal me. I wrote that down right here in my journal a year ago. Now I'm healed. Now you did this to me, you see. And we then attribute those things. Listen, after the fact, if you don't hear the promise, you might know it's God, but you can never rejoice the same as when you hear it in advance. This is John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming, to Jerusalem, you know this, they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, cried, Hosanna. Look, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And now Jesus, as typical, is going to do something strange. Not weird, but strange. Jesus is not weird, but he does some things that are strange. People are welcoming him as the king. Then Jesus, when he'd found a young donkey, sat on it. Maybe you've been in church too long to appreciate how odd that sounds. <laughs> Mr. President, here's your coronation. Oh, thank you. Would you mind getting me a young... I want a young donkey. I'd like to sit on a donkey. As it is written. See, look, it had been promised. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Look, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but... When Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. You give God glory based on hearing the promise, seeing it fulfilled, praise and worship comes about, and it only goes to him. Now, if there are little kids here who still believe in Santa Claus, cover their ears. Because I'm going to make some Santa Claus statements. Okay? And if you're an adult and you don't yet know the secret, then cover your own ears. And come forward and let Pastor Mike pray for you at the end. <laughs> My wife and I have never included Santa Claus in our Christmas. Now listen, it's not for a religious reason. Although there might be some. It's not because I believe Santa Claus is Satan's clause or anything like that. We've never included Santa Claus in our Christmas. But it's not for religious reasons. It's for a whole different reason, which is, listen to me, it's pretty much a selfish reason. Let me tell you what it is. Because I cannot fathom Christmas morning arriving and my kids starting to tear open their presents 
And there they go, taking off the paper, throwing it up. Oh my gosh, it's a this or that. It's that $200 piece of plastic that I wanted and have nagged you for six months for. Look, look, it's exactly what I wanted. And then my kids, what would they in turn do? Oh, thank you, Santa Claus. Oh, thank you. I'm so thankful for Santa Claus. I wish Santa Claus were here. Then I could thank him personally. If I ever get to see Santa Claus someday, then I can thank Santa Claus in person. I am way too jealous a parent for my kids' affections <laughs> to put up with that. I paid my hard-earned money. I gave of my resource to provide that for my kid, and I will not have the glory go to some fat guy in a red suit and a big hat. I have a question for you. Do you think God's a good father? Do you think he's jealous for your praise when you open up the gifts he gives you? Or do you think he wants you to go, oh, you know, this is, we're so lucky. Oh, things just turned out good. You know, karma smiling on us. The planets lined up. and La, 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 la. I think, I think the Heavenly Father goes like this. No, 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 no. It's me. I gave you that. And if you would have heard the promise, you would then understand the present. And then you would give me the praise for the present from the promise. And that's what we're really in need of in a life that gives God glory. It, it, it just demonstrates His faithfulness. If you lack a grateful heart, get a promise from God. When you see it come to pass, you will not have any problem being thankful. You want it to stir it up. You want it to try. What are you doing? I'm being thankful. You get a promise that comes to pass, and I'm telling you what, gratefulness is the last problem you'll have because his promise demonstrates his faithfulness. Okay? All right, here's number four. You got the first three? Here's number four. Because promises encourage us during hard times. Now, if you've been saved longer than 10 minutes, you realize that getting born again does not take away all your problems. It takes away one really big eternal one, though. But the problems you still face on earth, you know, if your car payment's due and you get born again, your car payment's still due. I've been to Walmart, and I, could never pray, I, could, I was never able to pay with my prayer life. No. They always want this money. No matter how godly I am, they want money. See, you still have earth issues. But the good news is when you get born again, you now walk with the one that made the whole thing, and his grace supplies all you need to get through it with victory. How do you do that? Listen, you do it based on promises. Having a promise from God encourages you during tough times. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, this is Paul, the apostle, writing to Timothy, who is at the time of the writing of this, he was the senior pastor of the largest church in the world. It was the church at Ephesus. Uh, most scholars believe the minimum size was 20,000 people, up to 220,000 people in the church. Huge. How they even did it, I don't know. They probably had, literally had services, you know, uh, every day of the week. I'm sure they did. And Timothy faced all kinds of problems. The, the Jews were persecuting him because he was preaching Jesus Christ. The false gods were being worshipped and they were persecuting him because it was not an idolatry. He had false brethren constantly trying to sow division, false teachers, people trying to kill him, people trying to manipulate. And he faced a dire enemy that all of us do. And this is what was written to him. This is 1 Timothy 1.18. 
This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, watch, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. Now, what were those? Those were prophetic words that were given by prophetic men, the elders. They were read or or spoken over Timothy. And those promises, judged by the elders, were, were agreed to be God's promise for him. It was when he went through a presbytery. And he heard the word of the Lord, either through a prophetic person or through a promise. And Paul is saying this, I'm charging you according to those promises, to use those promises previously made made concerning you, look, that by then you may wage the good warfare. In other words, Timothy, I'm giving you a promise, and with it you're going to wage a warfare. You're going to fight with a weapon I'm going to give you. The promise is the weapon, and you're in a war. What's the war? The war is against the enemy of your soul. It's the same enemy you face today in 2012. And listen, Timothy was facing the greatest weapon the enemy had. It's still the greatest weapon the enemy has. And it's absolutely certain it's this. It's discouragement. Discouragement is the greatest weapon the enemy has. Why? Because if you get discouraged, you'll surrender all your other victories. The truth of the matter is he can no longer steal, kill, and destroy from you unless you open doors through discouragement. You throw your hands up, you stop believing God, you stop holding on, and you let things go. He knows he can't beat you. He can only talk you out of your blessing. That's his whole goal is to discourage you to where you feel like, oh, all hope is lost. I'm a worm. I'll never become anything. Woe is me. Everything's bad. This has failed. That's gone downhill, blah, blah, blah. And you start to lose your courage and it starts to go out. And Paul says this, if you're going to fight that enemy, you're going to need the right weapon. And here's what you've got to get. If you get nothing else, get this. The right weapon handles the right enemy. It doesn't matter who the enemy is. If you have the right weapon, you can handle it. But you need the right weapon. And the promise is the weapon. My wife and I, when we, we only had three of our kids, they were still really little. One of them was in a stroller, so I guess 17 years ago or so. And uh, we lived in Grand Prairie, Texas, and we had a neighbor across the street that had a pit bull, a very big dog. It was one of the larger breeds of pit bull. It was about this tall, mean, mean, dangerous dog. The dog ended up being put to sleep, uh, as a matter of fact, after a year, about a year after what I'm going to tell you about. Um, but... Let me just say this. I, I, I'm very pro-dog. I love dogs. I, I'm a dog person. So I'm going to say this. I don't want you to get mad at me. I don't want you to get offended. Oh, he doesn't love dogs. I love dogs. Matter of fact, I, I believe all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> and let, subsequent to that theology, let me just uh, teach you a little bit on dogs. Since, do, since all dogs go to heaven, and heaven is a place of peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, therefore no cats are in heaven. So... <laughs> So I love, I love dogs. I, don't get offended if you're a cat person. I'm sorry you're a cat person. You should be a dog person. <laughs> Sunday afternoon, I'm sitting on the couch. I hear this dog going crazy in the street. I get up, look out the window. He has my wife. The stroller's behind her. The two little girls are huddled to her like she's pinned back against the mailbox. And the dog is out of his backyard, no chain, standing there just barking, going crazy. And so I do what any of you would have done, and I just bolted. I bolted out the front door run through the front yard and jump in front of my wife. And I get my wife and my three kids behind me. And now I am trying my best to act tough. 
But I knew for a fact that I was in danger. And if this dog got a hold of my hand or foot or other, you know, I'd be in trouble. Because they don't let go. They bite and they hold on until you're a bloody mess. And, and so I'm backing this dog off, but I'm scared. I'm holding him off. You ever seen a Christian treat the devil that way? Devil! The devil's not deaf, and that doesn't scare him. Yelling is not the right weapon. So I'm not yelling at that dog. I'm, I'm just standing him down until I said four magic words. I said four words that changed the entire circumstance. Kelly, that's my wife. Kelly, get my pistol. Yes. And the whole situation started to turn around. My wife leaves and goes to the house. She runs to the house. Of course, I'm just standing the dog down and I'm, you know, speaking to it. And about maybe 30 seconds later, what seemed like, you know, an hour, I feel her coming up behind. I turn around and I put my hand out. And right as I turn my head, she lays that 45 in my hand. I cannot explain to you what happened in the dog. I can only tell you what happened. As soon as that gun hit my hand and I'm ready to spin around, everything in that animal changed. Now, I don't know how many bullets it was going to take to, to kill that dog, but I can tell you how many I was going to use. All of them. I was going to ventilate Fido. But I did not just have the will. I now had the to-do with that weapon in my hand. As soon as it hit my hand, that dog's ears, I literally, I took it as I'm coming around, ears pinned back. He gets this. Suddenly, he's not scared anymore, and he takes off, makes it back over his fence, and, you know, he got to live another day. <laughs> this is what I want you to hear. The fight changed as soon as I had the right weapon in my hand. When you get the right weapon in your hand, it doesn't matter what enemy you face. If it's the right weapon, it gets in your hand half the time, not even having to use that weapon. Listen to me. The enemy of your soul that is discouragement is perfectly combated by the promise from God once you have it. It turns, it tucks its tail and it leaves because it no longer has power and all you need do is say, wait a minute, you're illegitimate. I have a promise. And it encourages you in hard times because you're able to war against discouragement. Here's, here's the question. You've you got to answer this question in your heart. Don't you believe that God wants you encouraged? He, do, he really does. That He wants you to have a promise. And you might have come in here this morning and you didn't have one. So well, I believe some general promises, but I, there's not something I'm holding in my heart that I'm going, I'm holding on to it, and I know. And when discouragement comes, I just I pull that promise and I know. Wait a minute, but God said this. And it handles that discouragement right away, just like that dog. You might have come in here discouraged. Listen to me. You don't have to leave that way. What I want to do, I believe the Lord sent me here with this message because I really want to let the Lord minister this. And so let me help you very, very quickly with this. How do you get a promise from God? It's very simple. It's a one-step process. Very simple. How do you get a promise from God? You ask. So aren't there four points? Aren't you a preacher? Aren't you supposed to have more than that? No, this is it. This is one point. You ask. And the only prerequisite to asking is that your heart is humble. 
God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due season. See? And so what is humility? Humility, very simply, is this. It's willing to be known for who you really are. It's not covering up and acting like you're something you're not. You see, all of us need promises. And if you're here, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray over you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, when we bow our heads, I'm just going to ask you, if you're here and you're going, I would like for you to agree with me, Pastor Stephen, that, that I would hear a promise from God. And I want to pray for you. I want to lead you in a prayer. And all I'm going to ask is a show of faith. It's very simple. I'm going to ask you in a minute to just, just to stick your hand up and put it down. That's it. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Nothing like that. Just a physical show of humility. And think about it. How hard is that? I mean, if you lack direction, you're beaten by discouragement, you lack faith in an area, and you don't know God's faithfulness, and you can't just muster up that, please come forward at the end for more prayer. But I know you can. I know you can do this. You say, why do you want me to raise my hand? Because it is a physical act, just like speaking with your mouth is a physical act when you get born again. You declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You do an outward action of what's going on inside. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I want to pray for you. And I want to lead you in a prayer. Because I want you to hear a promise from God. Now, just so you know, you can't control what promise God will give you. That's, that's called witchcraft. Okay? Guys, if you're single here and you're looking at some good-looking sister, you can't go, I, I'll receive a promise for her. No. That's, you can't do that. That's manipulation. What you can do is say this, Lord... I'm humbly submitted to you and whatever you promise I want because your promises are good. You have my best in mind. Okay, so I can't tell you what the promise will be. I can't tell you how he'll give it to you. But I can tell you this, if you'll humbly ask, he's faithful and he wants you to have a promise. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Father, I thank you right now, Lord, that you're here and you still speak and it's your will that we'd have promises. Promises, God, that build our faith, that lead us in the right direction, that demonstrate your faithfulness and then encourage us in hard times. Lord, thank you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Father, that no one would be hindered through pride or fear from asking their Heavenly Father for something they know you want to give. God, thank you. If that's you, you don't have to look. No one's looking around or anything. It doesn't mean you're some filthy sinner or anything like that. You're just saying, I need, I, need, I need another promise from God. I want to ask you just this. Raise up your hand. Just raise up your hand and put it right back down. It's, I'm raising mine. I'm going to raise I want another promise from God. You know, I don't even have to see you. You just raise your hand. God sees you. God, he sees you. You just, just raise it and put it back down. That's 90% of the room. You're in good company. Now I want to pray for you. Just agree with me. Father, I thank you that it is your will and your good pleasure to give us the kingdom, to give us righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit right now. And Lord, I'm asking that you would give your promise that we could have a fresh word from God today, this week, this month, this year to hold on to. Lord, not just one, but many in many different areas, Lord. Release your word. And I want to ask you to pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud. You can whisper it under your breath. You can say it 
to yourself, and I want you to pray this, very simple, just pray this. Heavenly Father, I humbly ask you would speak to me any promise that you want me to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you that you're faithful to answer that. And Lord, I pray your blessing over this body. I pray your blessing over their finances, their relationships, their walk with you, their time in your word, their prayer life, their worship life, all of their friendships, Father, their, their jobs, their enterprises, everything they put their hand to. God, I pray you'd prosper it. I pray they'd be the most blessed people in Texarkana and around the world. Lord, let them be a light and share Jesus this week. Father, thank you in advance for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Boy, it has been a blast and an honor to be here. Would you welcome Pastor Mike as he comes on back? Thank you, guys.